You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. We've been walking through what's, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' words to his disciples and the larger community that kind of uh, most likely gathered around. And we've seen it as a real challenge to what it is. And even it would have been in Jesus' day and, and in the day of the disciples, the early church, but today as well, what it means to live out God's kingdom in the world can look like things are flipped upside down. It's a new way of doing life. And it's often very counter uh, cultural to, to those who, who are living life uh, around us, a call to be merciful, a call to, to forgiveness and things like that. But specifically today, we're talking about prayer, and prayer is one of those, those mysteries. I mean, we're told to pray without ceasing. We're, uh, we're also told that God, God already knows our thoughts before we think of them ourselves. Um, we know that sometimes God seems to answer prayer, and so we interpret that as that our prayer was heard. And sometimes uh, God doesn't answer prayer. And we often interpret that meaning uh, God didn't listen to us or something like that. Or we've been ignored. And so our understanding of prayer can get kind of muddled. And our idea of how God works can get kind of muddled. There's a, there's a story of a Baptist missionary in Africa who found himself being followed by a lion. And, uh, and he had a, a kind of a muddled idea of prayer and theology. And while he was praying, he looked over his shoulder. He saw the lion. I think we have a picture of a lion there. You guys are paying attention up there, right? Awesome. Um, it's family. Um, and, uh, and so he, 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 this missionary started praying. He said, God, I pray that this lion is a Christian lion. And as he got ahead of the lion a bit, he jumped over into the bushes. And as the lion came past him, he heard the lion say, Dear Lord, I thank you for the food that we're about to receive. <laughs> if we're not careful, we can get a muddled understanding of how God may answer prayer. A, a muddled understanding of the heart of God. A muddled understanding of what it means to, to come before him. Uh, we can often get an idea of a God who seems to, to, to work in kind of chaotic ways or, or sometimes he seems too tired or too busy to even care. So why this, this call to, to keep asking and seeking and knocking? What is it that we're supposed to be asking for? Because Jesus has something in mind. He must have something in mind. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. But what are we asking for? Well, seek what? And what door? I don't want to open every door that's in front of me. Some doors I'd like to stay shut. Well, the word for ask here, it's not a one-off. It's not, it's not about a specific request and getting a specific answer. In fact, all three words that we see here, they mean the same thing. They're synonymous. Keep asking, keep seeking, uh, keep knocking. It's to emphasize persistence. Keep coming to God the Father. And this language would have been very familiar to, to Jesus' disciples. This would have been very familiar, familiar to first century Jews. Because first of all, it's a, it's a call to seek God the Father. Continue to seek God the Father. Throughout the, the Hebrew Old Testament, there was a, an invitation to seek out God, to continue to pursue him and diligently aim your lives towards him. Aim your prayers, aim your, your thoughts, your desires. Uh, and that's something I'm not sure I understand at times. But the God of Scripture is not a God that simply demands obedience. He is a father who desires relationship. 
Please, please hear that. <laughs> in, in everything, we, and we've, we've walked through this idea over the last couple months, but the ultimate goal is to have more of God, to have more of Jesus. And believe it or not, this is the hardest part, harder part, is that he actually desires us. He desires us. Like a, like a father, he wants us to ask and seek and knock, just so, not just so he can give us stuff, but so that he can give himself. That's what Jesus is speaking about. When I was, uh, when I was a kid, I, I didn't know my grandmother's names. I just knew one, one was my dad's mom and one was my mom's mom. And I had, like, a, like a, a savage, I had two simple titles for them. I had Cookie Grandma and Candy Grandma. Because I knew if I went to my, my dad's mom, there were always going to be cookies made. Usually they were made, but they were always available. If I went to my mom's mom, I knew that there was always going to be candy. And, and some of you will remember those like crystal jars with the little lid on it. And she always, oh, I see a lot of, <laughs> uh, yeah, like that one. And, and actually, this isn't an actual, it's weird that I found this picture, but those are very similar to the candies that she used to have available. And there would be other ones that were strawberry and pineapple, and they were hard candies on the outside, but they were like sweet syrupy stuff on the, in, not medical syrup, but like a, just kind of a sweet liquid on the inside. And of course, you could never weight. You always like get in like, yeah, I want the good stuff. So I'd always do that and kind of break teeth. But I remember once with my, with my candy grandma of, uh, she would always make me ask her for a candy. She's like, here was the jar. I was never allowed to help myself. I just, could I have a candy? Yeah. Okay. And she'd give me, she'd take one out and she'd give it, what kind do you want? And she'd give it to me. And I remember once having this brilliant idea. I said, you know, grandma, you know that I'm going to come again for another candy, we could just save us some time and you can just give me the whole bowl right now and I'll just sit in the corner and I'll eat the candy. And she said, no, you don't understand. It's not just giving you the candy. I love that you come and ask. I actually have joy when you come and you seek me out and you ask. See, I thought this was just a one-sided exchange. That, that she was just well, she was just candy grandma. Just, just give me some candy. Give me some candy. But she was getting something out of this as well. Uh, Scott McKnight, New Testament theologian, says this. He says, God delights in our presence and delights in sharing his presence with us. We are summoned to enter. Do you believe that? All of the gospel declares that point. All of the gospel declares that God has opened his arms and wants to welcome you into his presence. God doesn't need me. His, his glory is not diminished if I fail to pray to him and ask and seek and find. But he takes pleasure in my asking and seeking and knocking. And it has always been a defining characteristic of those who say they are God's people. That they will continue to seek more of him. They will ask for more of him. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Psalm 105, verse 4. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. 1 Chronicles 16, 11 says, Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says, If my people, many of us are familiar with this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, which naturally happens as we ask and seek and knock and aim our lives towards him, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. 
For many of us, the, the emotional and spiritual turmoil that many of us walk with, much of it, not all, it's, for many it's a continual walk, but for, for much of it, it will be uh, dispensed with, removed as we ask and seek and knock and pursue God the Father. That is the goal seeking of seeking and asking and knocking is to find God. It is a call to put all other pursuits aside and, and seek him for mutual joy. That's the one we can't get our, our mind around. That God finds joy as we pursue him. And then Jesus says, this is why you want to do this. This is why you want to do this. Because our heavenly father is trustworthy and loving. You can trust God as Father. That's the second thing I want us to lean on this morning. You can trust God as Father. Many of us have walked with fathers that we could never have trusted or that let us down when we did trust. That is not God the Father. You can trust God the Father. In verse 9 to 11, he says, Which of you, if your son asks you for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus draws this, this line, and, and it sounds insulting. You're evil. It's kind of like, okay, come on. We're just sitting here listening, Jesus. You're evil, and God is good. It's very much like last week when we were talking about the difference between a speck and a beam in the eye. Jesus is trying to draw a very strong line between humanity's version of goodness and love and God's ultimate expression of goodness and love. Your dads, you, you dads, he's saying, you dads, you know what is good. You know what good parents do. When your child is hungry, you will give him food. You won't give him a stone. You won't give him a snake. You know the difference between a good gift and a bad gift. Well, who knows that more than God? You can always trust that he knows the best thing to give you. So trusting God means that we remember that God knows better than me. God knows better than me. When I, was, uh, when I was young as, uh, as well, a different uh, kind of episode in my life, um, Christmas Eve was always trying to get through the Christmas Eve service so then we could get to the food and the gifts. Yeah, I won't make anyone, everyone else confess that that was true of you as a child <laughs> as well. But, you know, you had to go through and wear, I don't know, whatever the, the theme was that year of the talking donkey. I don't think Luke ever wrote about a talking donkey or wrapping mice in the stable, but we came up with things like that in my church. And so, you know, once you got through the itchy donkey costume and you, you memorized goofy Christmas poems and some scripture and they stuck that mic in your face to make sure you said it and you sweated, once you got through all that, we would go to uh, extended family and we would, we would open, open gifts. And, uh, and I remember one year, although we, were, we weren't in on this aspect of it, my, my cousins were, within the family were doing a gift exchange. I don't like, I, those always frighten me. You never know what you're, you you're going to get. But I remember uh, of the two brothers, the younger, my younger cousin grabbed the gift and it was a big box, beautifully wrapped, and he brought it and it placed it in front of his older brother. And we were all like, wow, he has gone overboard with this gift. And it took him like forever just to get the wrapping paper off because there were like three layers of it. And then when he, it was one of those old-fashioned ones that actually had a lid on it, so he took the lid off, and then there's another smaller box inside that one that was all wrapped up. After he went through about three or four of those, the rest of us were bored, and he was still excited about what might be in there. So he opened the final box, and then there was newspaper wrapped around something. And it was newspaper, 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 until he was surrounded by garbage and paper until he finally found 
a penny. The exchange, as you might expect, ended in frustration and letdown and disappointment and a black eye. <laughs> Many of us think that's how God gives gifts. We think, you promise big God, but in the end, as I continue to walk through, I keep unwrapping, and it's just not giving me what I feel like. You've promised something big, and it doesn't deliver. We need to remember, as, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, that the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Often what we, what we want for and we ask for has the look of something we think we really want and we really need and God in his wisdom sees it as the big empty box that it is that will not deliver what we think it, it will. And the truth is that God knows that outside of himself nothing will truly deliver what we are after. It will not be a new job that he gives us, that won't fulfill all our desires. It won't be a relationship that he grants us. It won't be a vacation. It won't even be healing. None will fully satisfy the way they think, that we think that they will. And at their best, they are still temporary. At their worst, they draw us away from he who is truly meant to satisfy. The greatest gift that God can give us is more of himself. So trusting God means that we, we understand that, that God knows better than I do and remembering that, that God has something better for us, something better for me. His gifts are as good as he promises and better than we can think of. Love what Paul writes in, in Ephesians 3.20. He says, he, Jesus, God, is able to do immeasurably more than all. Do you hear that? He can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. I don't know. I can imagine quite a bit. Anyone? Han Solo, Star Wars, original. Anyway, doesn't matter. Then we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So, so here is the question. If he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, why then would I ask for anything other than his goodness and his will in my life? If he's got something better than I can come up with, if that is true, then that makes me want to throw away my list and just say, Father, not my will, but yours, yours be done. Because you've got things, I can't even imagine what you have for me. I haven't seen your list, God, but I need to trust you that it's better than mine. First of all, it's probably legible. Mine is not. So yes, like a good father, he will, he will not give us a snake when we ask for a fish. But I think we could also say the reverse. When we mistakenly ask for a snake, he'll give us a fish. <laughs> and when we mistakenly ask for a stone, God will give us bread instead. Something that truly sustains and truly gives us life. Because I think sometimes in the past I've asked for a snake thinking I'm asking for something good. Or I've asked for something that's no better than spiritually than a stone. The point is when we approach God in prayer, we are not approaching a stranger, a stranger to us or our needs. We, we're approaching our Father who knows what we need. And it's interesting, we see in, in, in Luke's gospel, if we want to get a glimpse of what, what Jesus is saying in, in, this, in, in, this, in this message, in, in Luke's gospel, it's said in a slightly different way. In Luke 11, chapter 13, it says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is that? That's his presence. 
That's, that's, that's God filling us up. The, the comfort, the counsel, the, the challenge, and, and all those things that will chisel us away and make us more Christ-like through his spirit. It's not the promise of safety. It's not the promise of stuff. It's the promise of his presence. That is what we continually ought to be asking for and seeking and knocking on the door of. Now, I hate to break it to you, but, but every person that Jesus healed died. I, might, I don't know that I'm the first person to tell you that. Every hero that experienced something miraculous in, in Scripture, healing, uh, the, the feeding of the 5,000, the seeing miraculous things, they are all gone. But that is okay because those benefits were never the goal. The goal was his presence. Experienced in faith and hope today and perfected in glorious resurrection when we will live with Christ forever. Trust in God always assumes the bigger story. That, that things are bigger than they seem. That's why Timothy Keller says this. He said, and you've heard me say this before. God always answers your prayers in precisely the way you'd want them to be. It should say you'd. The way you'd want them uh, to be answered if you knew everything he knew. Now, some of you might say, Brad, why do you quote Timothy Keller every Sunday? Because he's good and it's in my contract. As a good father, we are invited to seek him and trust him. And the last thing that this passage invites us to is that we would be transformed by God the Father. That as we seek him, we ask and we knock and we experience more of his presence and more of his goodness and we trust him more, we are transformed by God the Father. Luke, uh, sorry, Matthew 7, 12 says, So in everything... I'll look back down here. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. We often approach texts like this and suggest that it is telling us what God owes us. Ask, seek, knock, and God will give you something. But in all of what Jesus is saying, this is actually the landing verse. It's verse 12, which is not putting God, the onus on God, it's putting the onus on you and I. The question is, that, that, that we're left with, is not what can I get from God, it's in light of God's goodness to me. Will I now show kindness and love and generosity to others? Because if I do so, I'm living out exactly what God has called me to live out. Will you look like your dad? Will you look like your father? And by the way, also your king. Jesus says, so. That's, that's, the, that's an important word there. So in everything. In some of your versions, as I might say, therefore in everything. In other words, this is a pivot. Everything that's come before this, this is the result. In light of the way God the Father thinks of and adores and treats our adores us and, and, and treats our requests, we are invited to have the same heart towards other people. And if the, I love verses like this. They're very helpful to me because I'm not good with lists. If you're wondering how to live up to the law of God, the, le the, the level that he is asking, look at others as those whom you want to bless. Then you're living up to the law of God. When they need something, you have a heart to give them what they need. 
This is the amazing thing, and this is what I love. You will find yourself obeying everything that God ever asked of those who loved him. If you find yourself doing that as you pursue God, you're living up to everything that the Old Testament says you ought to do with your life in, as, a, as an offering to God. Jesus is not simply taking all that's in verses 7 to 11 and saying, um, fulfill these things and you'll fulfill the prophets. He's saying everything that he's been saying so far about looking at the other person and removing the speck in their eye, about how we judge others, about how we offer forgiveness, how we dismiss. He's saying, so do it how the Father does it. See the love of God for even those who come in ignorance. And Jesus says very clearly, if you want to know what the Father looks like, you look at me. He says, I and the Father are one, he says in the Gospel of John. The disciples say, you keep talking about God the Father. Who are you talking about? What is God like? When are you going to show him to us? And he goes, how long do I have to be with you? How many times do I have to say this? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know how to love people? Give in humility of yourself. Sacrifice yourself for others. Sacrifice your time. Sacrifice your money to serve other people. He says, when you do that, you're living up to everything that the law and the prophets asked of God's people. In Galatians 5.14, it says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, Paul writes in Romans 13, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So if you have a hard time memorizing the Ten Commandments, don't worry about it. You can go straight to this. What does God demand on our lives? Love as he has loved us. When that... EGR person comes to you. What's EGR, Pastor Brad? Extra grace required. <laughs> when that person approaches you, you see them at a distance, and you say, how do I deal with this person? You say in your spirit, and you ask the Holy Spirit <laughs> for help, and you say, help me love this person as I have been loved. Help me forgive this person as I have been forgiven. Help me show mercy as I have been shown mercy. Help me to, to self-sacrifice as Jesus gave up everything for the joy that was before him. This is the law of God the Father. One that shows love to his children and invites them to show that love to others. Guys, our, our, our Father... God the Father who loves it when we come and we seek and we knock, who wants to offer more of himself, he invites us to trust him and to live out that trust as we promote his kingdom through love. When we remember that Matthew 7 was spoken to disciples who were about to walk on with Jesus on a journey they did not see coming. A three-year journey of, of suffering and persecution, attack, and then to see all of it poured on the person of Jesus in injustice and torture and ultimately in crucifixion. They will be asking the hard questions of whether God can be trusted. In this darkest time, can God be trusted? In the midst of this storm, can God be trusted? The disciples will be asking these questions. 
as we continue to pursue you, are you a good God? Are you a good father? Because this is a difficult moment. Or the fact that you haven't, haven't responded the way I've asked, does this mean you've abandoned me? Jesus says, you never need to say that. God is present. God loves it when you come. And God has something in store. How deep will our trust be when that happens with us? What kind of father do we think we worship? Jesus is saying you can trust him. Trust he loves you. Trust that he hears you and as you seek and as you knock. See, and this, if I can leave you with this. Guilt is the worst motivation for prayer. <laughs> Write that down. Guilt is the worst motivation for prayer. Many of us have grown up feeling the pressure. If I'm going to be a good Christian, I'm going to get up in the morning and pray. I'm going to come with my list and I'm going to make sure that I, I, I what do I do first? Okay, I, I give acclamation. I, I give him praise. And then, and then I confess. And then I give thanksgiving, and then I give supplication. We all, did any of you learn the Acts way of praying? No, praying, nothing wrong with that. But if we approach God because we feel bad if we don't pray, that kind of just defeats the purpose of coming to a loving Father who loves it when we come and say, hey, can you take one more out of that jar? He might say no, but keep coming. Keep, keep asking for more of God, more of his presence. That, that's where prayer finds its joy. That's where we will be inspired to reach out and to speak to God and continue to ask and seek and knock. When we get away from the idea of guilt as a motivation for prayer and the motivation going, oh, I get to go speak with God the Father again who loves it when I come and when I approach him and who knows what kind of things I need and, I, and knows what will sustain me. Knowing God's love and his goodness and, and learning to embrace those attributes and his desire to give us good gifts, even when we ask for bad ones, is what prompts us to pray and continually ask and seek and knock and to get more of him and to spend time in his presence because the best gift he can give us is more of himself. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the invitation to come before you as we are, whatever mess we drag along with us with smudged faces and dirty clothes and skinned knees, and you are, you don't just put up with us, you love when we come to your presence. And if we have doubts about that, Father, if we have doubts about your heart for us, we look to the cross. We know you're not ignorant of our pain because we look to the cross. We know you, you are a God of love because we look to the cross. And we also know that you have good things in store for us because we look through the cross to the resurrection. To which Paul says, belongs to us if we are children of the living God. And so it's my prayer this morning for each of us that you would place your spirit in us, you would fill us with your spirit, and you would give us a deeper desire to pursue you, to ask and to seek and to knock with perseverance in hopes, not that we'll get something out of your hand, not that we'll get another candy out of the jar, but that we will get more of you. 
And I pray you would instill in us this week the truth, the truth. And again, we look to the cross to see this, that your desire is to be with us, that your desire is to be in a relationship with us. And for many of us, Father, we come with brokenness. We come with a, a, a misguided understanding of what a father is because our earthly fathers did not do a great job. So please renew in us a pure understanding of who you are and your desire to give us good things, ultimately to give us yourself. Mm -hmm. And Father, where some of us need healing in that area, I pray your spirit would do a work in us. I pray you would challenge us, but you would also comfort us. And this week, as we think about whether or not we're going to spend some time in prayer, I pray we would run to you. I pray we would, we would carve time out, not because we, it's something we must do, it's something we get to do. What a privilege to go before our Creator and to proclaim how much we love you and to just spend time with you. This week, God, I pray we put our lists aside. And just spend time with you. We thank you, Jesus, for making this relationship possible. We thank you, Jesus, for taking on, uh, taking on flesh, knowing that would lead you to a cross in order to tear the veil open so that we could walk into the presence of God the Father with confidence. What a privilege. May we live out that privilege this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.